Welcome to the Samson Strength Coach Collective Podcast. We've created this collective in order to grow a network of strength coaches who are consistently raising the standard within our industry and as an educational resource for coaches of all levels. Make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Samson underscore EQ. This episode features Coach Tim McClellan, an absolute legend and pioneer for our industry. He currently serves as a head strength and conditioning coach for the Arizona Arsenal Soccer Club, hosted by Justin Schwinn. Welcome to the collective today. We have uh, Tom McLennan on today, uh, a historical uh, legend in the field. Um, it will, he'll get into a little bit about himself later on. First things first, who's on the call today? We got Justin Schwinn, it's me, um, human performance advisor. I'm a contractor with KBR. I work with the 58 Sal. Darius Decree, the head strength coach of the 58 Sal. He's also a KBR contractor. So we both work in the military setting or tactical setting. Um, other than that, we got Coach McLennan. Uh, two and a half minutes. Coach, the floor is yours. You want my, my career in two and a half minutes? I, uh, that's a little bit too much time for me. I'm as old as I am. I might fall asleep halfway through. Um, I grew up, played a lot of sports, had my life changed by my high school football coach, was a third-string wide receiver as a junior, and I had a guy that had no business giving me the time and effort and uh, intention that he gave me, take me to be in uh, a first-team all-conference player the following year as a senior and playing in the local all-star game, and uh, he changed my life, and I guess it was just such a blessing at the time that I just thought that would be cool to do that for others. So I uh, graduated college at East Stroudsburg, coached some powerlifters, did some powerlifting back there, came out to Arizona State, spent time there as a graduate assistant, full-time assistant, head strength coach, went out into private practice, had a very, very fun, exciting, flourishing, blessed private practice, made a lot of money. Retired early, so I'm kind of doing things on my terms right now. Thanks, Coach. You know, there's something to say about that, you know, and I think we all want to be able to be in a place where we, at the end of our career, where we can work at our own pace um, or at least be able to give back at our own pace, I guess is the best way to say it, how I see saying it. Um, real quick, a big question I think that really I, it's kind of my go-to for everybody I talk to on this podcast because I think it, it, it really – what I'm looking for kind of in life as I will move forward is my coaching career. I'd say I'm probably in the midway point, uh, hopefully, God willing. Um, but what motivates you, Coach? Um, and when I say that, when you first got into the field, um, you were motivi- motivated by a certain factor. It might be the same factor now. For me, it's different. Um, again, when I started, I was full of piss and vinegar and just being there every day with the thought process of winning a championship and, and, and doing all those things that was right in front of me. That was what was motivating me. And now it's, it's less about that, more about relationships. It's more about understanding the psychology of the athlete and, and how I can really peel back the layers of who they are in their life and, and really develop deeper, more, uh, empathetic relationships, I think, you know, really understand them. So that's me. And so I want to hear you. And then second part or the second layer to that question is uh, your staffs over the years. Uh, what did you do to motivate them? Um, Cause I think that's crucial. You know, a lot of people get in there. I think they get to this leadership role and they have to dictate everything. When in all reality, it's probably the exact opposite. 
it's it's creating a safe space for for coach their staff to really work together. So I, I want to hear that from you, Coach. Please. Well, I'd, I'd have to say this: your your path is the same path that I went down. I think your intuition and insight are correct as far as my path. When I started, I plain and simple, it was about conquest. I set out to help the athletes that entrusted me to help them to be the best in the world. And there was no other outcome that we shot for. It was, we're going to be the best in the world. We're going to do it better than anybody's ever done it. And I wanted to do that for myself as well. So there was kind of a twofold conquest where it was about them being the best in the world. It was about me being the best in the world. And as I got older, um, that hasn't changed. I would still like to do this, but I don't want to do it for me anymore. I want to serve. So along the way, zero service and a hundred conquests became about 80%. I want to serve others. And uh, I, I just believe if you give a person a fish, you feed them for a meal, teach a person to fish, feed them for a lifetime, teach a person to go for the whale and get the whale and you can feed lots of other people with it. So that that's my focus today. So I think we're brothers on this path. Uh, and you contacted a little bit, but really with your staff, what were some key elements to really motivating them? You felt like besides just you or what are certain things you did to really drive their motivation within that culture you were, you were a part of? Well, I was so driven, too driven, like way more driven than, than I ever realized I was and knew I was. And um, one thing I'd say to all the young coaches out there and most of everybody's young now compared to me, but um, what I would tell the young coaches is at some point you need to coach athletes that are trying to optimize performance, not just enhance performance. I don't like the term performance enhancement coach, and I liken it to this. I don't know a word of Greek. I could learn one word of Greek right now. It could even be a cuss word, and I'm enhanced. And that word might not help anybody, but I'm enhanced. There's a big difference between enhancement and optimization. So I would tell young guys, get involved in coaching track or some swimmers or some power lifters or weightlifters. Somebody that's really trying to optimize where hundredth of a second makes a difference, you know, or an inch makes a difference. Um, because that's a different focus than just, you know, taking a, a football team and just trying to make them all better. So um, when I was young, every, I was trying to optimize. I had a strong powerlifting background, had a lot of connections, coached the Samson powerlifting team, and it was a really neat team that couldn't be beat. And it was a lot of fun, and guys breaking world records and winning world championships and things. And I was a geek about, should we be doing five reps or six reps? You know, or should we be at 82% or 84%? And that stuff became all-consuming. And I was coaching biomechanics, and I was coaching physiology, and I was coaching um, technique, but I wasn't coaching as human beings. And as I got older, I realized I need to spend more time coaching human beings. So I kind of got off the, the geek pursuit of 82% or 83% on, you know, during the fourth week of the mesocycle and got more into leadership. And how do I become a better person? How do I convey that to others? How do I help them become a better person? And my relationship over the course of time, it got better with the staff, got better with the athletes. Everything's got to be relationship-based if you want to have success. 
Coach Cree. Coach, an honor and a pleasure to be able to speak with you this morning, sir. Uh, Want to ask, sticking with the the topic of motivation, um, you talked about yourself and your staff. How did you motivate your your athletes, um, especially during times of hardship? Uh, one of the things that I like to discuss with coaches is, and then those who don't know what it is that we really do. Uh, the level of the closeness or the relationship that we have with our athletes, you know, knowing that they confide in us and uh, academics, uh, home life, what have you. And then we still got to figure out ways to motivate these kids, these athletes, um, as you say, to optimize their training so that they can be the best that they can be. So I would like uh, your feedback from that, sir. Thank you. You know what? It's it's an honor to meet you, and I hope I hope our paths cross someday. Um, for me, it's all an issue of establishing a relationship. People by nature want to follow. I, you know, I want to be led at this point in my life, and I've got some young people in my life that are leading me. Some of my martial art instructors were half my age. Some of my pastor was half my age, and everybody likes to be led. So. Um, if you establish a great relationship and you seem like that type of guy, like a friendly guy, fun to be around, like you said, people are willing to confide in you. It's a matter of walking the journey beside them, not, not trying to dictate where they go, but more of a guided discovery process towards success. Um, I've been ridiculed for this before in my career. Somewhere along the line, somebody one time said, you can't coach heart. And that's all I want to coach. I, I disagree with that wholeheartedly. I can coach hard, and it's not, not being braggadocious, but to me, if you can help somebody with their heart, you change their character. If you change their character, you'll change their effort. If their effort's good, they got a chance of winning. The character's lower, the effort's lower, the chance of winning's lower. So, you know, basically, long story short, I just think it's a matter of creating the right relationship and walking side by side with somebody. Beautifully said, Coach. I really enjoyed that piece. Um, you know, it's simple to say a simple three-part term, how it lays out to a beautiful foundation of really what you're looking for. Um, we, we interviewed uh, uh, Coach Don Decker the other day, and uh, he had hit a four-part four part piece on how you engage your staff and your culture, and it was same type of piece. And like, those are things I want to hear. I want to hear things that are so simple. You look at it. So well, that's, that's almost stupid simple, but it's, it's gotta, it's so gotta be though, you know, and yeah. I mentioned, I've done a lot of martial arts and you start with a white belt. So you fight for nine months and you learn all these throws and pins and arm bars and things. And they give you a yellow belt and you think, Hey, I'm getting better at this. And then you do it again for another nine months and they give you a green belt and you go, Hey, I'm getting pretty good at this. And someday you end up getting a black belt. You tie that black belt, you know, for a couple of decades and all the black frays off of it and turns white again. It's like what was once simple became so complex, it turns simple again. And my career has kind of gone that path where I try to dumb things down right now. I think you, you, you see the beauty in that too. And you, you see the, the honesty and the purity of it when you do. Um, I do believe that. So second piece, Coach. So through the years, you, you've been in this, this field um, um, well-vested for some time. And in that, in the early parts of your career to now, you've seen a lot of 
change in trends, not necessarily in fundamental lifting components saying, you know, squatting is still squatting. The, the, the Olympic lifts are still the Olympic lifts. The jumping is still the jumping pieces. You know, some people try to coin their own terms in it, but on how things are rolled out, and you kind of talked about it with percentages and not, but from a technology standpoint, um, integrating pieces such as maybe a force plate, uh, maybe some sort of velocity-based piece, um, uh, even uh, some sort of <clears throat> some sort of tracking piece if it's even sleep. Um, when you try to introduce something from a technology standpoint or new piece to your athletes or to your teams, how do you go about doing it successfully? Because some people are completely turned off by it. And I know, especially in the professional setting, they think almost at that point when you're trying to track anything of them, trying to give them feedback that you're almost going to inhibit them. Um, and, and, I, and, I, and I can understand that because they've got to where they've got to because of the success of their talent. And they think anything fine-tuning is really a negative to them. So to say that, if you came across new things, new ideas in your career, uh, what, were, what were some ways you really uh, were able to sell those new ideas? Because you believed that they were going to be successful and allow your athletes to be more successful. So what were some ways you were able to do that? I think I think you have you have to stay current, you know. And and as I had mentioned earlier, I coached a lot of powerlifters, and I had such incredibly talented guys. I mean, great, 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 great gene pool. Uh, we had good relationship. We had fun. There is nothing we could do to screw it up. I mean, we were winning national championships and world championships, and that was the standard. If somebody wasn't a national champion, they were a bum, and I was sure back then I had the answer. And to some degree, I think what we were doing was very successful. Well, I look this past weekend, watched half Thor Bjornsson deadlift 1,100 pounds. He wasn't on a Tim McClellan program. I did not have a magic program that was people were only going to be successful because they were on my program. There are a lot of different ways to get successful. And I think we have to embrace technology. I can't imagine John L. Sullivan fighting Tyson Fury. You know, thing, things evolve. You can't imagine the, the running backs, you know, in, in the original NFL, you know, what the difference, you know, during my time, I've seen it evolve. I coached a guy that played 12 years as an offensive lineman in the NFL, played most of that time as a guard at 265 pounds, even lighter sometimes, sometimes at 260. You know, you look at that and you say, you know, he was too small, he'll never make it. 13 straight Pro Bowls, and he's in the Hall of Fame. You know, the point being is we evolve. You know, the species is evolving. Technology is evolving. I think we have to embrace that and not go off the deep end and be trendy about it. I've been blessed being so old to see the trends. You know, the trend when I first came in is it was just meathead lifters, literally. And then power lifters kind of, came in and said, hey, you guys are meathead lifters, but we're so much stronger, you should be doing what we're doing. So we all went, oh, yeah, we got a power lift. And the Olympic lifters were like, hey, you know, guys are big and slow and non-athletic. You know, look what we do. And it's like, oh, yeah, we got to all become Olympic lifters. I remember my career, there was a major, major football school with a legend coach that had their quarterbacks doing 12 sets, two snatches. And that was, that was a workout for them. And, you know, you think back, you know, if we don't evolve – they're still doing that. That's quarterback workout with you know, no interest at all in preserving the rotator cuff and doing prehab and those kind of things. So 
the trend from the Olympic lift and went to the exercise physiologists. Hey, are you working all your athletes in three metabolic systems? Well, the fact of the matter is kicker probably doesn't need a high aerobic capacity. So those guys were in for a while. Then it became the PTs because they're so well-educated. I think each trend that we've had has provided some beautiful things in and of itself, but in and of itself was incomplete. So we need to evolve with it. We need to take the best from each. And that's the art of coaching is pulling it all off. Thanks, Coach. Coach Craig. Yes, sir. Um, if you could, could you uh, tell us about or describe your your training philosophy with your athletes and as well generating buy-in from your athletes? My, my philosophy, um, is, I'm going to dumb it down because I'm old and I have a phys ed degree, but it, I've got to pull it all off. I call it getting resolution. That athlete is prepared to do what they're asked to do or they aren't. If they aren't, it's my fault. So for a power lifter, they've got to lift maximal weights on that day under the judging guidelines that's present at that time. If it's a soccer player, they've got to be able to run that field. And we've got, you know, kind of some interesting experiences with some of the soccer kids I'm coaching. One of the gals, including pregame, wearing a tracker all season long, never ran less than eight and a half miles and sometimes ran 11 and a half miles in a game. Now, understanding there's somewhere around 1,200, 1,400 sprints. 90% of her running is done in sprints of 30 meters or less. So she's either prepared to do that or she isn't. And I can get her bench press up 10 more pounds. But, you know, if she can't, if she can't run late in the second half, then I'm failing. So my philosophy is geared towards making sure they're ready to play. We can't measure that. We can't measure it in a vertical jump or a broad jump or a 40-yard dash or a squat rack, unfortunately. So I, I hope that helps. I hope I answered the question. Yes, sir. And can you touch on the, the building of buying from your, from your athletes? Well, I heard a wiser guy than me one time say, the dog has to have the pill. If the dog doesn't have the pill, the dog dies. Some dogs... You can give them the pill and they'll sweetly take it and wag their tail. Other dogs, you have to open up their mouth and shove the pill in, but they have to have the pill. So, and that's kind of right. And if you were giving me a pill with the size of you, I think I'd just take it. I wouldn't want you to have it in my throat. I appreciate it, Coach. Thank you. <laughs> you got it. So, uh, real quick, kind of ex explain to you our current setting where we're at. Um, it's it's kind of crazy. People hear it and they're like, no way. But we're in the military setting, and the soldiers training with us, it's on a voluntary basis. Um, they're not required to train. You think, well, everybody in the military, everything's required, and they got to do all this thing in structure and all that. Well, not here. So this is, I would say, this setting mimics more of a professional-based setting where there has to be that huge buy-in piece, um, kind of like Coach DeCree already said. So how do you go about, in your career, um, grabbing the guys that when you've been in these voluntary settings, grabbing the guys, pulling them in and, and selling them um, and having them be a part of your, your program. I just send coach decree to go grab them. <laughs> it's about resolution. That'll get it done. Now. Um, I, I just really feel if there was a purpose behind my career in learning to coach is 
I had to get out of a little bit of the X's and O's that consumed me for about two decades and get into the relationship side. And it was almost like halftime changed things for me. And instead of focusing on, you know, 82% or 84%, as I mentioned earlier, I started focusing on how to relate to people. I actually certified as a life coach just to see what I could learn from that venue because it's really what you are. And I did not understand at your age or younger ages the importance that you can have in somebody's life. Um, and that's, that's an issue of not just getting them to squat five more pounds, but walking beside them in the tough times because they need somebody like a coach decree to come in and confide with, and they need sound guidance, you know, and they, they need a, they need somebody strong in their life and they need somebody to lead them and guide them and, and help be with them when they make mistakes. So, um, I think once those things started becoming more apparent to me, my coaching actually got a lot better. Coach, would like to would like to continue. I appreciate the compliment. Thank you. I need to get a little bit bigger though. <laughs> I might need one of your programs when this is all said and done. We can get uh, anybody bigger. Yes, sir. Uh, what 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 in 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 Developing your staff, um, how would you develop your your coaching staff um, in regards to your philosophy, what you're looking to accomplish, um, even in terms of, you know, hiring someone who may know, uh, let's say, have a specific area of interest in, let's say, technology, the weight room guy, the speed guy, what have you. You know, how would you go about uh, determining who who was a best fit for your staff? I would I would say to you, if I was hiring right now, I'd say, Coach Decree, tell me what your strength is. What is your strength, sir? What do you uh, like? What are you passionate? What gets you up in the morning? Okay. So go ahead and answer me. Oh, uh, well, I always like to lead with adaptability. I believe that a person should uh, or a professional should be able to adapt to both the environment and as well as his or her athletes, being able to not just be a bulldog. Sometimes you have to be that bulldog, you know, and yell and be loud, but sometimes you you may have an athlete that's going through a personal crisis and they're not going to respond to that or they may be an introvert. So having the ability to be able to connect with that person on their level and meet them where he or she is. Uh, in terms of motivation, I just love what I do. I love the relationships. I love the brother and sisterhood of of being a coach, um, and I just and I love seeing the success uh, of my athletes, both personally and as well as academically and and, and athletically. Are you an overachiever? I, I attempt to do so. Do you? Do you? As soon as as soon as the Eight-hour shift is over. Are you on the way to out the door, or are you going to stay extra and help somebody do another couple sets? Wait, I'm, I'm going to stay there. Let's go. Okay, so you're obviously a passionate man. Your heart's in a great place. You're an overachiever. You're good technically, but you're willing to walk beside people. Your heart is in the right place to help people. How do I help you put you in a position to do that better? That's what I would, that's what I would ask you if you were coming on my staff. Because 
you've got inside of you some incredible qualities. It's not hard for me to see that. I can see that right away. You've got some incredible qualities. I would want to build on those qualities and help you build on those qualities. And if your goal is to be the best strength coach in the country, I'd say, hey, tell me how I help you. Let's get it done. I'll do whatever I can do because you're willing to sacrifice. You're not punching a time card. You're, you're putting your heart into it. I'll do the same thing for you. We'll do it together. Uh, great. Awesome answer, Coach. Awesome answer. I appreciate it. Well, you made it easy on me. If you're an under, if you're an underachiever, I wouldn't hire you. <laughs> so, Coach, I, real quick, I got a question for you. Kind of thoughts on in in today, right now. Um, if you look from a learning standpoint, from educational standpoint, what's really keying you in right now? What's really feeding you? You kind of said a little bit about getting life coaching certified, which I think there's beauty to that. Um, Cause again, you, you, you unravel and you peel back more of the layers of the, the individual person um, and you look at the more holistic understanding of how, how they become successful. But what are other things you think currently in your current state in, of your career? Are you, are you eating on? Are you, are you feasting on? And, and if you could share that with us. It's so easy now and in this new generation, does not realize how easy it is. Back in my day, when you wanted science, you had to go over to the library at eight o'clock at night after you've coached for 14 hours and start going through the card catalogs, walk up a couple flights of stairs, find, hope the book that you're looking for is there, sit down, read the book, take it over to the copy machine, copy the valuable stuff, walk out of there at 11 or 12 o'clock at night. I did that for years. That, that was a hard path. It's all at your fingertips now. It's so easy to do. And, and you know, we're, we're in, a, I call it a more ADD generation where the attention span is not focused on one thing as well. You know, as, as I'm joining that generation, you know, I'm, I can get on the computer and I can watch Half Thor's 1,104-pound deadlift, you know, and it's like, huh, I wonder if that was easier than Eddie Hall's 500-kilo deadlift. Let me go back to see that. Oh, you know what? I want to watch Dan Path as a thing on how he does individualized warm-ups with track athletes. I mean, you, it's all right at your fingertips. So I just keep buzzing through anybody that, that has been great and everybody can educate me. The more I'm into it, the more I realize I don't know. You know, I'll, I'll be looking you guys up when this thing's over. Coach Craig. Yes, sir. Um, I would like to 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 dive into your coaching style, your 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 methods in, in which to, you know, optimize your athletes, even optimize yourself and optimize your staff. Uh, so you can take it from you know multi directions. You know, which what, what is ultimately your your coaching style? Has it changed from let's say when you were a younger coach? Because we evolve. Um, I know Coach Wynn. Uh, has spoken a lot about being the having that eagle eye, eagle eye, being able to see the entire room, um, and and that's something that I've tried and worked on and have been able to achieve as well. Um, we all shouldn't stay the same person. So wanting to know where where you started and and where you you've you've gone to in your coaching style. I was uh, given a book. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Probably 25 years ago, called Way of the Peaceful Warrior. 
by Dan Millman, great book. And back in the day, it was all warrior for me. It was, I could be in that weight room at 6 a.m. at Arizona State University. I could stay there till 9 p.m., then ride my bike over to the library at night, ride my bike home, get home at midnight, back in the weight room 6 a.m. the next day. And it was high intensity the entire time. And over the course of time, I think I've become a more peaceful warrior. And uh, I, I hate to say this as a guy that went through all that, all the warrior stuff and the intense studying of the samurai and the Vikings and the berserkers and how to become more of a warrior. But there's a lot of love in it now. And I hate to be sad old soft guys talking about love. It sounds like miscongeniality or something, but um, that's the peaceful side. I think I've become a lot more of a peaceful warrior and it doesn't have to be all about intensity 24 seven. I actually coached an athlete and, and this is, you know, a blessing of my career is having coached so many for so long. That was a collegiate wrestler, all American freshman year, all American sophomore year did not place his junior year. So I was brought in to consult with a major college about somebody who had been a two-time All-American and had a resounding flop as a junior. And on the way in, I was told by the coach, now, just a little heads up, this guy's intense. I go, great, I'll, I'll love him. He goes, no, you don't understand. We have to put him in his own locker room for matches because he's so intense, he's freaking out the rest of the team. And I, I actually thought it was a story come to find out, I talked to the athletic trainer and, and he says something, well, when, when he's over in his locker room, I go, what? Because we have to put him in his own locker room. I mean, a guy from that background is so intense, you know, throwing a little more fire on a fire isn't, isn't going to make him any better. There has to be a time when you say, hey, you know, let's shut the fire off a little bit here, come back and burn brightly, kind of like a light bulb, you know, leave the light on, you're going to burn it out. So, um, my career, I think, has, has gone towards, you know, trying to give people more love, trying to walk with them, trying to be there as a normal person, trying to be one of them. And then at times when we need to be intense, you know, much like yourself, I'm sure, it's like, all right, you know, we've got to bring the bulldog out. Let's go. And those are fun times, too. I like those times. Coach, uh, real quick, I want I want to kind of hear your take. Obviously, you're you're uh, um, you've had a, a long, successful career in strength and conditioning. Um, I know it's been limited on the military tactical side of things, uh, but I want to challenge you. I want to throw you a curveball today. Um, if you were going to step, take those shoes, your strength and conditioning collegiate professional shoes, and take it into our industry, is there anything? Um, you feel would be helpful for us for the day-to-day, week-to-week, year-to-year components of the soldier that you think would be essential for them and their success um, in the training and taking that into the field of battle? First first of all, God bless you and Coach Decree and everybody in the military. It's an incredible, incredible endeavor and undertaking and thing that you're you're doing not only for them but for all of us and that is so much of a higher calling than helping somebody squat 10 more pounds and you know changing their metal from bronze to silver so you guys are are true heroes um 
I had, I had no understanding of the military, as, as I'm assuming a lot of people don't. And about six or seven years ago, a friend of mine who was a UFC fighter at the time asked me if I wanted to go with him to Fort Bliss, Texas for two weeks. And there were four levels of certification for tactical defense. And he says, hey, if we get there for two weeks, we can get certified in one and two. We'll go to Georgia sometime later the next year and get three. And then we can have those people trained by us and out in Arizona. So we drove to Texas and went to Fort Bliss for two weeks. And I got to tell you something. I grew in admiration and respect to those people in our, that serve our country a hundredfold those two weeks. I mean, it was just an amazing experience. And, and I, I think you guys are so blessed to be able to do what you're doing. I think that's really, that's so much of a higher calling than, you know, winning, winning the championship. So thanks for that. Um, for me, it's about function. Are they ready to function? Do they believe in you? Do they believe in themselves? Do they believe they're, they're ready to go to battle to, to perform the things they need to perform? You know, because, um, and, and you've done this, both of you guys have done this. You've prepared people before where they are prepared, but they don't think they're prepared. And then they really aren't because they don't think they are. You know, I, I was blessed to have a very good friend that I actually did my sports hypnosis certification under. His name was Judd Biasato. Judd was superhuman. He, at 58, won Mr. World in bodybuilding. When he was like 48, he, as a 130-pounder, squatted 603 pounds and broke the drug-free world record by 75 pounds, wrote 90 books, 900 magazine articles, and the guy was like a hero, superhuman hero on earth. And he had told me um, when he was teaching me the sports hypnosis that the mind is a computer and the law of computers says garbage in is equals garbage out, you know, however you program it. So some of these kids, and we know that self-talk in our society today is 75% negative. So if I, if I said to you, Justin, you're a nice guy, and I think you're a really capable strength coach, but you're ugly, you're stupid, you smell funny, you, know, you can't squat worth a darn, you'll never be a great coach. If I told you eight negative things about yourself and two positive things, we're not friends. You wouldn't want to be around me, but we do that to ourselves. So I think with these people, you, you need to make sure that they're confident in what they're doing and they trust in your preparation. Thanks, Coach. Coach Cree? Um, Coach, uh, just really quick, I uh, would like to get your, your, your view on what's, what's some advice that you can give to some young and up-and-coming strength coaches, um, less about the science and, and more about the, the humanistic part of what it is that we do? There was a, a book out years ago, I don't know what it came out, five, 10 years ago, called Emotional Quotient 2.0. It talks about EQ, not IQ, EQ. It's your ability, A, to understand your own emotions, 
uh, control your emotions and understand the emotions of other and how all that interrelates. And um, there's YouTube, we call them YouTube coaches. There's YouTube coaches out there. These kids that spend all these hours on YouTube know a lot more exercises than I know because they, they're on YouTube nonstop, but they, they don't know how to coach. They don't know how to pull it all off and they don't know what to do with all the exercises and they haven't worked with performance optimization. They've only worked with, Hey, you know what? We need to do something to work stability. Let's get on the BOSU ball upside down with one foot, close our left eye and juggle a bowling ball, chainsaw on an egg. You know, they don't, they don't know what to do with all it. So I would say number one, young coach should uh, focus on leadership Focus on the ability to speak. Focus on the ability to listen. Read what the top leaders of the world have done and said. Study leadership. You know, I've studied Alexander Great. I've studied Jesus. I've studied you know, Adolf Hitler. These people that have been very dynamic, very charismatic, that have had big followings. And there's a big difference between being a leader and being a great leader. You know, Adolf Hitler being an example. Was he a leader? Yeah, his whole country went to war for a long period of time. Sure wasn't a good leader. Kind of last piece of this uh, um, platform, I really want to open up to you, Coach. Um, If there's anything you feel like you wanted to share um, that hasn't been talked about, you know, passionate, that you're passionate about, that you feel needs to be put out there, I'd like to spend now giving you that opportunity. And then second piece to that, if there's any questions you have for us currently on this call, um, please ask. Um, we're here first, though. Listen, thanks. Coach. Would you, you know what? Having had that experience at Fort Bliss, um, I, I was mesmerized by it because the, the very last day we were there, we showed up at the parking lot at 4.45 in the morning, and the parking lot was full. And the guy that was with me, the UFC fighter, says, hey, they're all here to beat us up. I said, they're not going to make up 50 military people come in here to beat us up, two civilians. He goes, I bet you. He goes, I bet they're all here to beat us up. I said, there's no way. So we walked in the door, and the first soldier walked by. We said, hey, what are you guys doing here so early? He said, oh, there's a couple of civilians. <laughs> They were there to beat us up, but the sign on the door said this door will be locked at 0500, and everybody was there at 0500, dressed in their Army combat uniforms, ready to go, and it was just such an amazing thing. I would love to hear a little bit about what you guys do, because you're doing something important. You're changing humanity. You're protecting lives, saving lives. I'll let Coach DeCree kind of have that platform. Thanks, Coach. Well, where where do I start? Um, uh, like many, I came from a collegiate background, just like Coach Wynn. Um, I come from a military background family. Uh, my family has fought in every major war in the U.S. Uh, that I know of since World War One. Uh, so, gaining the opportunity to be able to give back to those who give was something that was highly important to me. Uh, this is such a new niche in our field. Um, it's still a baby in growth and being able to be at the ground floor to be able to you know, work with and 
I'm going to use his name, Coach Wynn. I've looked up to him in my career, and there's other coaches that I've been able to uh, network with and, and be under, you know, uh, being able to develop this hopefully the right way um, so that not only are we able to serve our military, but also be able to provide other opportunities for other strength and conditioning coaches. There's so much misunderstanding that's out there about what it is that we do. You know, it's not about just trying to have guys and girls pass their PT test. You know, one thing that I try to drive home to our current personnel, um, you know, we want you to have a long, healthy, successful career in the military. But as, as well, once you decide to transition to the civilian world, being able to function um, as a civilian, being able to play with your kids, to uh, assist with the reduction of injuries so that they can live as normal lives as possible physically from the, the strength and conditioning side, uh, but also holistically, mentally, and spiritually as well. You know, there's times where we get personnel that just want to sit in our office and hang out just like, you know, our college kids would. You know, they need somebody that they're able to talk to and be able to relate to. Uh, so it's the exact same uh, dynamic of creating the relationships, you know, generating the buy-in. Um, one of the guys that I've had who graduated, he's an MC-130 pilot, Um you know, he graduated a few months ago, uh, told me based off of my programming, you know, not only was he successful in passing his PT test, but he dropped several minutes off. Uh, we were able to reach his target body weight of uh, 176, 178 pounds, uh, but he felt 10 times stronger, 10 times more powerful, thusly increasing his confidence in his abilities to perform his duties. You know, just for the simple fact of uh, him stating, you know, sometimes they go on long flights, zero back pain, shoulders felt fine, just those little small things because, you know, what I've learned is that the wins and losses are completely different on this side of the field. You know, we want these boys and girls to be, and these men and women to be able to come home, and that is our biggest, uh, biggest win for us as coaches is being able for them to come home and help others be able to come home and save lives as well. Yeah. You know, God, God bless you for doing what you're doing, brother. That's, that's, and I can tell you're a great man. If, if I could say one thing to you as an old guy, looking back on a career, take time to enjoy it, what you're doing for people, because I didn't do a good job of that, you know, for probably 30 of my years, it was about conquest and more, harder, faster, higher, and I didn't take the time to enjoy it so much. What you're doing is so much more important than, you know, what everybody's doing out there in the field. So take some time to enjoy what you're doing for others. It's, it's an incredible calling, and they're blessed to have such a good man like you doing it. Thank you, sir. Really appreciate that. Thank you. You are welcome. Anything else you feel like you want to – any knowledge nuggets you want to instill upon us, Coach? Because, you know, I think you you got a lot, and, and I want you – I'd like you maybe to share one or two. I, I think just make the most of it. You know, you don't, you don't know what's going to happen. You know, I had a, my limited military experience, I had a guy come to me 
in confidence and say, Hey, I need to, I need to help. Need you to help me, but I need you to hold this in confidence. Um, he goes, I'm quitting pro football and I'm going to go join the military. And that was Pat Tillman. And I was with Pat for eight weeks, six or seven days a week because I was coaching him. He wanted to be the best in all the fitness tests and be prepared and bring out his best. And then on the weekends, he'd come to our judo dojo and we'd fight because he wanted to be good at that at the hand-to-hand combat. And um, I, I'm, I'm old and full of stories. One time we, we kept choking him out and uh, throwing him. And he went over and talked to my wife. And my wife was a brown belt in judo at the time. So at that time, she's 45 years old and she's a brown belt. And here's this young stud that can do standing backflips and you know, repeat tumbling passes. Played six, seven years in the NFL. Just you know, an amazing stud, an amazing person. And he kept talking to her and talking to her and talking to her. So after we got done training, I said, hey, what was Pat chatting about so long? He, she says, he was tired of you guys choking him and throwing him, and he wanted to know what to do to defend it. And I, it just blew my mind that a guy that is a stud like that, Pat Tillman, is go and ask a 45-year-old brown belt woman how to get better. And those are times that, you know, I probably didn't take to enjoy well enough. And those times can change. And, and God's got a plan for all of us. And we don't know how many days we have. So let's make the most of each day and enjoy each day to the most. So that, we, you know, if I could leave anybody with one thing, that's all I got. Beautiful. That's what I wanted to hear, Coach. I really appreciate that. Well, God bless you both. You guys are special people doing what you're doing. I think it's really neat what you're doing. Okay. I wish you were in Phoenix. I'd come join you. <laughs> well, we're not too far. Um, we're only in Albuquerque, so. Uh, oh, awesome. But anyways, yeah, I just want to thank you again, Coach. Thank you for the time. Thank you for allowing us to get to know you better. Um, a le- I'll say it, a legend in the field. Um, um, people don't – they take that for granted sometimes. Um, they want to know what the new young thing is when they understand that there's wisdom in a lot. Um, a coach like you, coach like Bill Foran, and coach like Al Vermeil, coach like Johnny Parker, like those are guys. Those guys are studs. I'm not a stud. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just old like them. <laughs> there, there, there's wisdom in every one of them. And, and I thank you for, you know, that piece and the stories you told. You know, sometimes I think people uh, take for granted stories, you know, but understanding that history – is here because of stories like there wasn't especially in biblical times like those are all stories those are all that's all the bible is it's just stories it's not i mean besides like a psalms or proverbs it's it's all stories so we learn from stories we learn experience through experiences and thank you for today and sharing yours coach anytime it's a pleasure it's an honor to be with you guys god bless both of you thank you sir thank, thank you. you coach